Welcome to Now Church. For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, online giving, and much more. And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And please use the hashtag NowChurch. Thank you, and enjoy today's service. We begin a brand new theme. It's right behind me called Tsunami. Tsunami, catching the next wave of revival. We grew up in an era where revival to a lot of people was um, about having a special guest speaker come in from out of town and, ha- and hoop everybody's excitement up for a couple of days. That's not revival. That's not where revival is. That's not what it means. That's not what it's intended to be in the biblical sense. So this whole month, we're going to be talking about that word, revival. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. If you have your copy of God's word, and we in a couple of Old Testament places as well. And I really need God today. Hebrews 12, 25 says this, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they, the Old Testament saints, did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape, New Testament saints, if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. Our God's voice still shakes the earth. When he speaks, things shake. But now he has promised, saying, yet once more, I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of the things that are made, so that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. The purpose of every shaking is to produce a remnant. Therefore, since we, the church of the living God, are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Isaiah 57, verse 15 says to the children of Israel, for thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Revival happens to those who are lowly of heart and those who become ashamed and remorseful of their sin. Let's pray together one more time. God, would you open the eyes of our heart? We are desperate for you to give your people ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to welcome those of you continuing to connect with us online. We're glad that you're with us today and hope you'll pay attention and try to eliminate as much distraction as you can today. We're very excited. It is Welcome Back Sunday for Kids. They are over there. I don't know how, I don't know if we have any babies in there. I'm hoping there's babies in there, hoping there's preschoolers, hoping there's toddlers in there. And we got our elementaries back for first service. So we're very excited about that. Would you welcome the children back? Come on, give God, give a good God bless you. Let them hear you on the other side of the building. Come on, that's not patty cake. We're glad they're back. We love our kids. We miss them. 
This month we begin a brand new thing called tsunami. Tsunami is also known as a tidal wave, which is not really a tidal wave because it's not just about tides that are moved by the moon. It's about, the word tsunami means this, a sudden and rapid displacement of water along a coastline caused by an underground earthquake. Something you cannot see, but still has a big impact. A sudden and rapid displacement of water along a coastline caused by an underground earthquake. Habakkuk 2.14 prophesies this. For the earth, the whole earth, will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And I want you to know out of this year, what I see is a tsunami forming. Out of the shaking... I feel like God is saying very clearly that a tsunami is being formed right now, even if we can't see it. I believe there's a tsunami wave of God's glory about to hit the earth, and I believe it with all my heart. And we need to prepare for it. That's why in the middle of 40 days of dedicated prayer as a church, we're praying all the way every day as a church with prayer partners, with a and online, you can still sign up online on our website. And we're praying, this is day 15. And let me just say this to you. The more you pray, the easier prayer is. The more you get out of the habit of prayer, and real prayer, I mean real prayer, leaning into God, the harder it is to pray. It's just like if you go to the gym and you haven't worked out in a while, and you go and say, well, I'm gonna start with an hour and get in there in the gym. The next, let, let me say, as a man over 50, I'll say this, it's two mornings later that you go, uh, I feel like the tin man in the Wizard of Oz. I can't move. It's the same in prayer. If you're getting cramped up in prayer, it's because you haven't been praying and, and really breaking through that to where it gets easier and easier. And you're using your prayer muscle, your prayer spiritual muscle. God is calling his people back to prayer, real prayer, not uh, gimme, gimme, my name is Jimmy, Jimmy prayer, not Santa Claus, Jesus prayer, but prayer, God, I need you. I want you more than anything else. My friends, when the pendulum of human events swings a society so far away from the truths and standards of God's eternal word, there comes certain inevitable watershed moments where mankind either runs desperately back to Christ or spirals downward into chaos. A shaking that brings a sudden and forceful changing of the tide is a real tsunami. A tsunami has several characteristics in the natural that separate it from just being a big wave. A tsunami is caused by invisible, as I said, underground, undersea earthquakes, contractions of the earth's crust. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, that the earth is in birth pangs or contractions waiting for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God, waiting for the weos of God, the, <clears throat> the sons and daughters, those that are like their father in nature, character, and conduct. Not just those who claim his name, but those who are being transformed into his image. A tsunami is first seen, listen, by a sudden and unusual surge of water pulled out into the ocean. Not just coming and hitting, 
the shore. But the first sign of a tsunami is when an incredible, immediate, and sudden low tide pulls everything out lower than usual, like in a world cataclysmic event. Fill in your own pandemic name. It's a strange phenomenon. This huge low tide or ebb is a precursor to a tsunami. And then it begins to form underneath the sea a giant and extended wave in height, depth, and force. And here's what you need to know. A tsunami affects everything in its path. No one is exempt from a tsunami. A tsunami doesn't care if you're black or white or purple or green. A tsunami doesn't care if you got money or if you have no money. A tsunami doesn't care what you look like, what you sound like, or what you smell like. A tsunami affects everything in its path. I recently found out that this coming week is historic. I mean, God works in cycles. We're praying for 40 days. Number 40 is important. Different numbers mean different things. I don't know if you paid attention in history class, but I did. 400 years ago, exactly this coming week, November the 11th, so next week, November the 11th, listen, 1620, the Mayflower Compact was made as a covenant between pilgrims escaping persecution from the Church of England, coming over on a merchant ship called the Mayflower, and it was tossed off course exactly 400 years ago by a storm. It was expected to land in an English colony in Northern Virginia, where they had a contract to to be with those people in Virginia and find protection for their religious freedom. What I did not know is this, of 102 passengers on the Mayflower, there were 50 men, 19 women, and 33 young adults and children. Out of the 102 passengers on the Mayflower, listen, just 41 were true pilgrims, religious separatists seeking freedom from the persecution of the Church of England. Just 41 out of 102, that's not a majority, it's just a big group. And they came here to find freedom to worship without restriction, their main thing. As they were blown off course, they found themselves landing north in uncharted territory. The others on the ship, the the Christians called them strangers because they didn't know the Lord, were craftsmen, merchants, indentured servants, and orphans. Upon landing in Massachusetts, the strangers began causing trouble, threatening mutiny because there was no more legal contract. They said this, "There there are no laws to where we are because we didn't land in Virginia. We landed here, and so there's no governing ordinance, so everybody can do what we want. And leaders from the pilgrims stepped up and said, we have to have order. We have to have laws. We have to have principles. And so they drafted something called the Mayflower Compact. 
On November 11, 1620, exactly 400 years ago next week, the Mayflower contract became a covenant between God and the people of America coming to New England, as they called it, to form a new and holy community and was ratified by all of the people on that group, even though the Christians were in the minority, they had the word of the Lord, the power of God, and the promises of the Bible. They established four main points in the Mayflower Compact. Number one, they would stay part of England faithful to King James I. Number two, they would enact laws for the good of everybody to bring protection and order in the society. Number three, they created one unifying society and decided to further it. And number four, they chose to live by biblical principles looking for the best way to function as a society. They looked at the Ten Commandments, they looked at the Word of God, and they formed this land. And they said this under the covenant, this new land will exist for the glory of God and the advancement of the faith. And even the unsaved, the strangers said, yes, we agree. Embedded in our new civilization was this commitment to glorify God and to further his kingdom. Exactly 10 years later, another ship called the Arbella would sail to the new world. John Winthrop's prophetic vision of America, this preacher who became the governor of Massachusetts in Southampton, England, as they were about to get onto the Arbella, he spoke to the passengers and he preached a sermon. It was called a city on a hill. And he went further than what the Mayflower Compact said. He said this, if this new world and society would honor the God of Israel and be a light for his ways, America would become, quote-unquote, a city on a hill. The eyes of the world would be upon it, he said. It would be blessed in the most prosperous nation in the history of the world, and all of the blessings of ancient Israel would rest upon it. He prophesied it before they even left, and when they came over, that Arbella covenant, that contract with God, became something that got even further 10 years after the Mayflower Compact. This prophetic sermon came with a stern warning, not to be selfish or short-sighted. He said this, if this new society would falter and would ever walk away from the God of our foundation and his values of justice and mercy and freedom and the protection of all human life, he prophesied this, just as happened to natural Israel, that God would bear with them only so long, he said this, quote, so that if we shall deal falsely with our God in this work we have undertaken, and so cause him to withdraw his present help from us, we shall be made a story and a byword through the world. His vision came true. John Winthrop's vision came true. America prospered as no country ever had and was dedicated to godly principles, even through revolution and through war. And every time that this country lost its way with sin and contempt for God, and we have lost our way many times as a country, but every time praying people would cry out, 
until the living God would awaken his church to his purpose once again. My friends, what always begins just with Israel, as in America, as in the world, what always begins with a spiritual drift moves into a departure and winds up as a war against the ways of God. The children of Israel didn't think that they were going to walk away from God when they started intermarrying with the people that worship Baal and Molech. The warnings of the Old Testament in Deuteronomy said, hey, you, you, you'll make no covenant or show no mercy to the other gods, the people that worship and serve other gods. What always begins with spiritual drift moves always into departure and ends up as a war against the ways of God. And the immorality of the day twists the truth until finally that which the Bible says, that which is evil becomes called good and that which is good is called evil. Literally, people profane the sacred and sanctify the profane. Welcome to 2020 in America. As a nation, no matter what you've done in your life or your heart, let me just say to you, as a nation, we have turned away from the God of our foundation and sacrificed our children upon the altars of self-indulgence and convenience. For the last 50 years, we have pushed God out of every bastion of society and said, we don't want you here. And the scary part is this, The laws were not passed to do it, my friends. It was the court system that those that were against God began to stack the courts and put people in power who didn't want to be with God, who didn't go back to the original intent and understanding of the Constitution and began to say, well, the Constitution, well, you have to put it in context for today, for what we believe today. But God's word never changes. And neither do his covenants. The Bible says it's better never to make a vow than to make one and to break it. We've removed God from the schoolhouse, pushed him out of the courthouse, and wound up putting the next generation in the outhouse. My friends, a few years ago, the state of Florida had a popular vote and we voted to outlaw and to ban same-sex marriage. We voted that as a majority. California, California voted against same-sex marriage. And the homosexual community declared war on the church and upon the people of God. And the way the law got changed was through the court system. The Congress never voted. The Congress never passed a law and said, let's override the will of the people in Florida, California, and all these other states. It came in to the corruption of our court systems. It came in and snuck in and said, this is the law. The same way that the murder of the unborn came in in the early 70s. Not by a law that was passed by a Congress and and ratified by a president and a Senate. No. 
It came in through the back door and the people of God sat on their hands and said, but we're going to be okay. We'll never leave God. But the blood of 63 million children cries out. Four marks of the dominance of the Baal spirit in the Old Testament as it infected Israel. Listen to this. Here's the four, four marks of what caused Israel to lose its state and its place with God. Four things. Number one, consuming self-focus. <laughs> Number two, rampant sexual immorality such as you never even thought of. Number three, the sacrifice of children to Baal and Molech. And number four, cutting and self-mutilation. Once again, I've just described 2020 America as well. When ancient Israel pushed God's hand of protection away <clears throat> through its tolerance, the drift from acceptance to celebration of blatant evil, there were consequences for their choices, my friends. There are prophetic judgments that went into motion in the time of Jeremiah the prophet. And the, listen to this, listen, listen. The exact geographical locations where covenant promises were made between Israel and God in those exact same spots on earth, judgments began to come because God's hand of protection was pushed away from that place by the hatred and the disobedience and the tolerance of God's people. Destructive warnings tried to awaken the people of God to the urgency of the times. Just 19 years ago, I know some of you weren't old enough to even remember it, but on 9-11, there was a wake-up call to America. And a few of us for a few weeks thought this may be the revival we prophesied. Because for three weeks... Churches were packed. People came from everywhere to churches and filled the churches and repented of their sin and came back to God for three weeks and then back to business as usual, back to fighting politicians. By the way, let me just interject here. We do not endorse people for elections but I would be remiss as a leader and as a pastor if I didn't tell you this. I've had people tell me, well, I don't like either presidential personality. I don't know who to vote for, pastor. Would you stop looking at personalities and go to platforms? Go to, here's what I did. I clicked on each of the, you, you, you Google Republican National Platform, Republican National Committee platform, Democratic National Committee platform, and you read those. One party in the very beginning <clears throat> says that they are standing to enforce the whole LGBTQ agenda that's in California right now, in all of America, and they say right in the beginning, the first few paragraphs of their preamble and what they stand for, that they will not let pastors, ministers, or people of God be ever able 
legally to counsel people that are struggling with sexual identity and sexual issues. They'll put you in jail. It's happening in California right now. I charge you to read the platforms. When 9-11 hit, can I tell you something really amazing? You're real quiet today, sorry. I'm not trying to be overly dramatic or serious here, but in my spirit, this is a strong, important declaration. Okay? John Winthrop, who made the covenant of the Arbella and prophesied that if America would serve the Lord, they'd be great and prosperous. And if America ever turned on God, his hand of protection would be lifted. John Winthrop became a great landowner. In fact, he bought an island in Boston. And John Winthrop's old property, family property, eventually has become Boston Logan International Airport. The airline terminal where the hijackers launched 9-11. I'll go further. Remember ancient Israel where they made their covenants and declarations. That's the same place where they were judged. Another covenant reminder occurred in 1789 as George Washington reluctantly accepted the first presidency of our country. And in his first inaugural address, I'll put it on the screen, he said this, quote, since we ought to be no less persuaded that the propitious smiles of heaven, the favor of God, can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right, which heaven itself has ordained, and since the preservation of the sacred fire of liberty and the destiny of the Republican model of government are justly considered as deeply, perhaps as finely staked, on the experiment entrusted to the hands of the American people. In other words, this, George Washington issued a prophetic warning at his first inauguration. We will cease to exist as a nation in peace and prosperity if we ever reject the principles of our foundation. Now that would be interesting enough if as I thought that took place in Washington, D.C., but Washington, D.C. didn't exist yet, 1789. The first capital of America was not Philadelphia or Boston. It was New York City. And that speech, the inaugural address where George Washington gave a prophetic warning, happened at an address on Wall Street, lower Manhattan, that became the site of the World Trade Center that we now know as Ground zero. My friends, without repentance, there can be no revival. Godly, genuine godly sorrow, like Nehemiah. Nehemiah, in the book of Nehemiah, his first reaction to the news that his beloved city and nation of Jerusalem and Israel were without protected borders or walls of safety, and he knew that they were 
going for certain destruction in the restoration of Israel, they were still, after 70 years of captivity, they were still abandoned. They were still vulnerable. And Nehemiah sat down, the Bible says, and began to weep and cry out. And he just, he, he, was a, he worked for the king of Babylon. He worked for, the, he worked for a foreign king. He worked a, but in, in, this, in this department, this secular job. <clears throat> but he sat down. And he said, I began to cry out. And in verse 6 of Nehemiah 1, he said, Lord, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open. That you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night. For the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins, listen, of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. My friends, the problem is this. In America, we think as long as we're pretty good, we haven't sinned. We're okay with God. <clears throat> I don't know about you, before I got saved at 19 years of age, if somebody would have asked me, are you going to heaven when you die? I would have said Yes. And if they would have said, why? I'd have said, because I'm a good person. I'm more good than I am bad. But God's standard is perfection. That's why Jesus had to live the perfect sinless life and become our only sacrifice. Because we can't live perfectly. We can only surrender to the one who is or not. It takes personal repentance and personal identification with sin. If my people, God said, called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. God didn't say, if all of the sinners of the world and those depraved and those trying to attack America would just repent of their sin. He said, if my people who are called by my name, it's about us. We, listen, society becomes a reflection of what's going on in us. Society is a reflection of the church. And the indictment never falls upon every individual. It falls upon us as a people. It falls upon the church. We're supposed to be the light of the world. And light is always more powerful than darkness. That's the indictment. Light is always... Listen, you never walked into a room and turned on a dark. Right? You never walked into a room filled with sunlight and turned on the darkness. The light always prevails. So where there's darkness, the light hasn't lit up. Are you hearing me? That this becomes the sin because Jesus said, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You're a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. So sin must be acknowledged that we never turned on the light. <clears throat> sin is a condition of man without God, not just individual evil behaviors. So intercession must be made. Who will stand in the gap? Lauren Sanford recently said of, the, of Nehemiah, <clears throat> pardon me, he said, rather than stand above and apart from his people, Nehemiah identified with them and owned the collective sin of Israel personally in identificational repentance. My friends, there are sins of commission, things we do, and there are sins of omission, things that we should have done that we didn't do. Know this. A house that wars and rages against its own foundation cannot stand. I see a tsunami of God's glory on the horizon. I see a tsunami, waves of mercy, waves of holiness, waves of his glory. And I prophesy to you that God will not be played with in this next wave. He is holy. Holy. 
As Elijah said to his people, how long, Israel, will you stand between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then serve him. And if he's not, then don't serve him. If he's God, then serve him with your whole heart. If you believe the devil is going to give you a better life, then serve him and see what you actually get. Will America choose revival, heeding the wake-up call of COVID-19 in 2020? Or will we choose a harder road, perpetuating the great divide? May God have mercy on our nation to make right choices and mercy upon the church to, make, to be the influence we're supposed to be. We have not been the light of the world. We were destined to be. We have failed to be the salt seasoning of heaven that people so desperately need. We've gotten so busy with our own lives, paying our own bills, raising our own children, pursuing our own dreams, and fearing a pandemic that we have left our first love and focused on all the wrong things. But the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, and all these things will be added unto you. I've got great news for you today. This is not a gloom and doom message. This is a message of hope. Here's the message. God's love is greater than all our sin. God's love is greater than all of the sin of all of mankind because Jesus took it all. But some point we have to be the ones willing to pay the price to step up and be counted, to speak his word in love, but to speak his word nonetheless, to be the light of the world again. Finally this, Pastor Lindsay, come up and help me. I heard the story recently of a man trying to escape the recent fires in California. Alone in his truck, he spotted two beautiful dogs, obviously somebody's pets that were missing, running between areas that were about to burn. So the man pulled up beside the dogs and opened his passenger door, knowing that he only had seconds. That these dogs, if they were going to jump into the truck... <clears throat> they had to make that decision immediately. The door would have to close. He would have to take off. And those dogs would have a split second to decide for their future. Either stay out in the running, running in the elements of the dangerous world with fire all around and burn up or jump jump fully and completely into the open door of safety. Would you bow your head and close your eyes, whether you're in the room, whether you're at home? <clears throat> you may not realize the peril that you're in. You may not see the fire or feel its heat or smell the smoke. But in the spirit, I tell you, it's all around you. And you can't casually or partially get into the truck or come into God's house or wait to decide. God wants my all. He wants your all. And in this next season, <clears throat> regardless, and I say this to you with fear and trepidation, regardless of the way this election goes on Tuesday, that's not the fullness of this thing. 
This is about coming to Jesus. Repenting of our sin. That's why our prayer is going all the way to Thanksgiving. Because our source is never a man or a leader. But voting is the right thing to do. In my heart, I believe Tuesday is not a choice between revival or no revival. It's a choice between revival, having another chance at revival being in prosperity, or having revival be in destruction. The easy way or the hard way. And it scares the heck out of me what the world and what America will decide. I stand with life. I stand with the Word of God. I stand with freedom. And I stand with the principles of God's words. Why I said to you last week, when somebody asked me recently, Pastor, what do you think about this or that agenda or this or that issue and the immorality that's being propagated around the country? And I said to him, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter what you think. And it really doesn't matter what I think. What really matters is what God thinks. And his word is forever settled in heaven. He's not changing it. He's not changing it. In the name of Jesus, Lord, as we stop this truck just for a moment and fling this door open in the fire, I want to invite you at home and around the world and in this room to jump. Jump into the arms of mercy. Jump into the arms of grace. Jump into the arms of His love. Jump into the arms of freedom. And give your heart fully to God. If there's anybody here willing to repent on behalf of our sin and the sins of our nation, I want you to stand up right now where you are. I'm not going to come up to the front, but stand up right now. If you're willing to pray, if you're willing to admit, I've been less than I should. I've not been the light of the world that I should have been. I've not been. I make the leap of faith today, Jesus. We're jumping in. We're jumping in, Lord. Forgive us, oh God. Forgive us of not being the light of the world. Forgive us for being ashamed of the gospel. Forgive us for being embarrassed to name your name. Forgive us for refusing to be uncomfortable because we're so comfortable. Forgive us, oh God. Forgive us. Forgive us. Have mercy. Have mercy, God. Have mercy on our nation, Father. Forgive us for condoning what you hate. Even though you love people. Your holy presence cannot tolerate sin. Father, cleanse us. Cleanse us for the adultery of our nation.
Cleanse us from the pornography of our nation. Cleanse us. For we have drifted. And we've departed. And we're in danger. Come Holy Spirit. And make us intercessors. Make us intercessors. Today, I call you to forgive your enemies. To forgive those who have hurt you, wronged you, and abused you. To send them gifts. To love on them. Jesus said, love those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. How hard is that? It's so hard. Except that the risen Christ lives in us. I pray healing for every home. I pray healing for every mind. I pray for for healing for every person. God, in your mercy, set us free, really free, truly free. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I know it's not a rah-rah word today, but can you stand there right now? And let's just thank God for his mercy for us because he said if we ask we'll receive it would you put your hands together and praise him for his mercy and his grace God's good his word is true he loves us with an everlasting love thanks for joining us at Now Church for the latest updates visit us at nowchurch.com including live or on demand video online giving and much more And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you.